Welcome to the Sanctuary podcast. My name is Daniel Whitehead and I am the CEO of Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries. And during this time of COVID-19, I'm also the host for the Sanctuary podcast. Uh, the podcast looks a bit different in these days. Basically, what we're doing is we're having conversations with friends of ours from around the world, from different backgrounds, different vocations. And we're just kind of asking the question, how are you doing? How are you coping? What are you seeing and what's happening in this uh these strange times. And today I'm joined by uh, our good friend, uh, Karen Giesbrecht. Karen uh, vocationally does a lot of work around food, but she does that in a lot of different ways. Uh, Karen is a registered dietitian uh, with a very strong interest in mental health uh, and also very passionate about communities. We were talking about this before we started recording lots of work she's doing in helping communities to connect around food which is amazing and she's written a few books but the one I'll mention has a great title uh, it's called Happy Colon Happy Soul an exploration of why and how we share food. Karen is from Vancouver and Karen it's great to have you with us thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. So Karen uh, let's start with the big question of how are you doing at the moment? What's what? What is what does Karen Giesbrecht's world look like in this, in these strange times? Yeah, well, I can definitely say it's better now than it was a month ago. Um, with the food programs I work with, we were just scrambling for a few weeks there, trying to figure out new best practices, new safe ways to to share food. Uh, I work with some addictions treatment centers, some shelters, mental health care facilities. There was a lot of supply chain uh, disruptions, some foods we could not get our hands on for, for a couple of days. Sometimes there was just an excess of food. When all the cafes were shutting down, there was just a lot of pastries and milk and you know things that, that weren't being purchased. Um, so those all came through the, the community food programs. Uh, but we have just seen an amazing generosity, and that's been really encouraging. Wow. Yeah, it's always interesting. I, I wonder in these times whether you kind of see the best of people and the worst of people. So on one hand, you're getting given loads of things. And on another hand, people are panic buying, which means you can't get your hands on maybe the things you really need. So it's, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I can't imagine how tricky it must be. You mentioned um, an addictions program you're involved in. Do you want to maybe just talk a bit to some of the strands of your vocation and some of the different roles you do? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I've been with uh, one of the Salvation Army addiction treatment programs for I think, coming on eight years. Uh, so I get to work with the clients who are in the program. Um, many will come in quite undernourished. Um, and then maybe eat a little bit too much in their first weeks of recovery. And uh, so we talk about just some of the basics of hydration, uh, making good food choices. And then I get to work with the cooks and kitchen managers uh, as they sort out how to provide food for people who are, are quite vulnerable. We talk a lot about food safety issues, uh, as that's all the more important for um people in recovery. And uh, it's been really interesting um, just seeing some of the clients, some who are, are doing well, some who are struggling in this. I think COVID is just a great amplifier of, of both our, our, our good sides and our hard sides. Mm. 
and tell me how are those programs because obviously i'm guessing a lot of these programs would normally require face-to-face interactions how how's your work been affected uh during during sort of lockdown yeah so i've done some uh group work and some one-on-one work over zoom which uh is is exhausting and hard and and on the other hand in some ways it's almost easier to open up um over a screen um and connect that way um it it has felt more distant but we're we're just sort of making do um Mm -hmm. the programs have had to make some tough decisions around what aspects they continue what aspects they stop who they let in how do we ensure that that the space remains safe for those who are in the facility. Uh, one of the scariest days, there's a, a group that came in and they had full face masks and backpacks and, and they were spraying the facility down with some kind of sanitizer chemical and we couldn't be on the floor where our offices were for half an hour after they sprayed. Uh, but people are definitely uh, doing a lot of work to ensure that these spaces stay safe. Hmm. Wow. And I, I can imagine you alluded to it then. You talked about working with people with addictions. Uh, I, I wonder, just talking around that whole thing, because addictions and mental health, they go in the same conversation, right? Based on the assumption that addictions are the way that we try to soothe our pain. Um, I wonder, for your passion for food, and, and I know mental health is something that's important to you, how did, did one lead to the other? Or, you know, how, how does... Yeah, how did how does that work? Yeah, good question. Um, I grew up in a family where we ate well, we cooked everything from scratch. Hospitality was was big for us. Um, I grew up in a really strong community, and then I moved to Vancouver. Started at at UBC. I studied nutrition. Probably I have to point back to loving my biology teacher in high school, which put me on on the nutrition path. And then found myself sort of lonely and and bit out of my depth here in the big city, and then somehow connected with a, a community meal program at a Baptist church downtown Vancouver, and volunteered there for a few years, and just really loved who I met there, made some good friends, what I was learning both at church on Sunday and in my nutrition classes made so much more sense. Um, at that Tuesday night dinner and shelter and volunteering led to another volunteering gig, which led to a job. And here I am. Hmm. Wow. And I wonder, cause it's, it's only as I'm sitting here listening to you talk about the different uh, sort of the path of your vocation that I'm thinking like the relationship between food and mental health is really interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, when we talk about mental health as being a part of wellness or well being. um, being a sort of a major facet of of that overall picture of a person that is that is well and flourishing in life um obviously nutrition is a really important part of that is are we feeding our bodies which i'm guessing your your book is you know sort of dealing with this uh, are we giving our bodies what we need in order to flourish are we hydrated are we able you know um and yet also food is one way one place we go to to comfort ourselves which isn't necessarily a bad thing i would hate to just paint a picture of and therefore we shouldn't be doing that i think actually it's one way we can survive when wellness is is hard to find or when trauma hits home which we're all 
in the midst of. I wonder, are there are some things there you could explore for us just about, you know, your experience and, wh and what you've seen in your in your work around people's relationship with food. Yeah. So in the, the recovery community, there's a, a lot of wisdom and emotional intelligence there. But one of the phrases they use is just for today. We just got to get through today. Uh, so when I, I talk with groups, especially individuals who are in the early stages of recovery um, or have just come through an acute crisis, as we all are, we're exhausted, we're maybe in pain, um, our bodies are, are out of whack. <clears throat> We talk about uh, just some of the acute connections between how you feel, how you're coping right now, how your body feels, how your head feels, how your gut feels, and what you've eaten in the last 24 hours. So that makes a difference. If you've had nothing but coffee and pastries, you're going to feel one way. If, uh, if you didn't sleep well last night because you didn't eat enough yesterday or you ate too much yesterday, that's going to impact how you're coping and your mood your emotions right now are significantly impacted by what you ate yesterday and even the day before. Uh, so we explore some of those things. And then as I get to walk alongside clients through that recovery journey, um, also get to talk to them sort of in later stages of, of the recovery, people who are, are ready to, to move on, to cook for themselves, to live on their own again. And that's where we start talking about some of the, the larger ethical issues around food. Um, you know, one of the, the understandings of recovery is that there has got to be uh, a sort of spiritual growth and, and addictions are, are often a, a spiritual sickness. And so this, the, the solution, at least part of it, is gonna be spiritual. And, and one of the, the ways we understand spirituality is that we're all connected to each other. and. And food is such a prime example of that. You know, how many things have we eaten today that were uh, grown and processed and transported by dozens of people? Um, and so we, we really rely on a large network of people. And the more we learn about that, uh, we need to first be grateful. And second, uh, make sure that the choices we are able to make uh, support that food system and those all along the way. Yeah, and I guess now with certain shortages, I, I remember you know a few weeks back when, I mean it's not food but toilet paper. No one could get toilet paper and eggs, like eggs, eggs just disappeared off the shelves for a, a few weeks. It was, yeah, you know, mm -hmm. I can understand like tinned foods, but I'm going eggs, eggs don't even last that long. But uh, I mean, great, eggs are good, um, mm -hmm. but but nevertheless, it's uh, suddenly yeah supply chains you know frontline workers being delivery truck drivers suddenly there's a whole other way that comes to the fore of viewing this where you go oh yeah there is a a whole infrastructure you know here i was living in my little bubble just assuming that this stuff magically appears and i you know just feeds me and and what i want to do because i'm so important and suddenly we realize how finely poised and how delicately poised this whole system is and and a virus occurs and suddenly all these things are being brought into question. It's, it's yeah. quite staggering. Yeah. At one of the, the facilities, the, the mental health facility, one week we couldn't get any bread. There just wasn't any in the, in, uh, available. And our delivery driver um, didn't deliver any. And so I, I called the driver and then I called his manager and I said, I understand if, if you're short of bread, we, we'll 
figure out something, but you can't just not come and not tell us. We, we have to, we have to know so we can prepare for this. And, and uh, a lot of our clients really rely on their routines, including their bedtime sandwiches. And if we can't make those, uh, there's sort of some real ripple effects. Uh, you know, it's, it's important for some of the mental health medications to be eating regularly. And, um, and so the, the manager that I was speaking to said she, she understood uh, sort of what predicament we were in and she apologized that they hadn't communicated. And, uh, and then she called me back half an hour later and said she found 30 loaves of white Wonder Bread. And if I wanted, she would drive that over, drive it across town to our facility. And I said, yeah, that would really, would really help us um, take down the stress of our cooks quite a bit. And, and so she did that. And then I thought, man, if you had told me a month ago, I would feel proud for scoring 30 loaves of white bread. I would not have believed you. That's uh, yeah. That's not quality food. And yet uh, at that moment, wow. that's what we needed. Wow. And yet for you, I'm guessing you're a proponent of the slow food movement. I'm, I'm guessing you would be like, I'm, I'm guessing, right? Homemade. Yes. Yeah. Good okay. Food, quality. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, the other flip side to that is try buying flour at the moment. Like everyone's clearly making bread, and I see people posting on social media that they're, you know, so in, in, it's weird, isn't it? It's like the best of times, the worst of times. Um, you get these yeah. weird juxtapositions of things are hard, but in other ways, there's this kind of weird blessing, uh, if we can call it that, in the midst of a horrendously dark time that that yeah. people are are you know, learning how to cook again or learning how to bake bread or. Um. And what's been really interesting to me is whether I've had conversations with people visiting the food programs in whatever form we can run them, people at, in the recovery program, friends and neighbors. I've had a number of people say, you know, my life hasn't really changed. And, I, and that's a really sad reflection on how disconnected I was and, and, and how lonely I am. And a number of other people have said, my life hasn't really changed. And I'm taking that as affirmation that, that I'm in a good place and I have good connections and I have practices in place, whether it's people working through the 12 steps or people having uh, other health practices, spiritual practices, cooking skills. Um, you know, if we had good, good practices in place, we're just doing more of that. If we were lacking in some of those, that's being amplified. Mm. Wow. And, and so, Karen, tell me, what are some of the needs you're seeing, like the, 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 particularly among, let's say, the more vulnerable or marginalized people in society, people living with addictions or people maybe who are, uh, are homeless? Uh, what, what sort of things are you seeing on the, on the, the front lines? Yeah, a lot of the supportive programs, especially a lot of the, the hangout spaces, have been shut down, and that's uh, leaving a big gap. Um, even some of the, the bathrooms, places to wash their hands, laundry facilities, those are gone. Mm. Uh, uh, for those who don't have a home, um, we, there have been a few more emergency shelters opened up. Uh, and a lot of emergency food programs put in place. Uh, so for now, um, I think we've, we've figured out a lot of good things. We do want to be 
starting now that we're past the acute crisis and starting to sort of get on our feet again, take a breath and, and begin to think about post COVID life. We want to think about what are we going to do with our programs? We know that emergency food, especially using rescued food and food that's sort of recovered from grocery stores and, and whatnot, that is not the answer to hunger and food insecurity. It's got to be income and strong communities and social supports. And so it's, I think time now already that we start thinking about what are we going to do to wind down these emergency food programs and put back some of the, the practices that we had in place and, and develop them again. Uh, COVID has certainly exposed some new vulnerabilities, but also exposed the, the amazing connections and networks in place. Mm. And, um, hopefully the connecting that's happening is going to continue. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that people who are listening or watching this should know, if they're not from Vancouver, which many won't be, is um, there is a whole, uh, I want to say subculture in Vancouver. The, the downtown east side of Vancouver uh, has a very high proportion of uh, people who are homeless or uh, many of them would have uh, struggles with addictions. And trauma. Um, and trauma. I, th I remember hearing uh, Gabor Mate, who is now a more world-renowned um, psychologist, but I remember he's from Vancouver and, and worked on the downtown east side, I think for mm -hmm. at least 10 years. It was a long, it was a long time, mm -hmm. wasn't it? Mm -hmm. I remember him saying that, I think he said in 10 years of working directly with um, people on the streets on the downtown east side, without exception, every single one of them had a significant childhood trauma. Every single person who is addicted to some form of drugs, every single one of them had a significant childhood trauma. Um, I, I think I think sexual abuse is actually the words he used. So abuse there is this neglect of some kind. Yeah. Yeah. There is this clear, just clear correlation. And he, he obviously wrote that book uh, in the realm of hungry ghosts, which mm -hmm. is about his experiences of working on the downtown east side. Um, so there is a, it is a, a very real thing. Um, if you've if you've lived in Vancouver or visited Vancouver, you'll you'll know about it. Um, and obviously, there's a lot of vulnerable people. Do you know how many people live on the downtown east side, Karen? I could not give you a number. Um, I know it's it's sort of things got better and then have sort of been getting worse in recent years. Um, but it uh, and it is in the last couple of years we've we've started to use the term trauma-informed care a little regularly, um, which for someone like me, uh, I'm not a, a trauma specialist and, and uh, I am not equipped or in a space to address some of the traumas, but there's a lot of things that we can do in our food programs to make uh, a space more caring. Mm -hmm. So one way, um, you know, we, we sometimes use the phrase, beggars can't be choosers, or <clears throat> I've been oriented to several programs uh, by someone who said, you know, th these people who come to the shelter, they're going to tell you they have all sorts of allergies. Don't believe them. They're just trying to get something special. Um, you know, we make one thing and they take it or leave it. Uh, but as I've got to know clients and heard stories, um, realize a lot of a lot of people have you know, certain foods or smells or sounds. Uh, but foods especially will will trigger a traumatic memory. And so it, it's mm. it's not an allergy. It's not somebody being difficult. It's not just a dislike, but 
these foods are strongly associated with a hard memory. And if we understand that and have compassion for that, uh, we can always find something else. We can, we can make space for that. Hmm. But that's, I guess, not often understood in food programs. Yeah. And it goes back to that thing that, um, I've said a number of times before, and I'll say a number of times again, but it's like everything we've learned about the human brain, like in the last 20 years, we've learned more in the last 20 years than in the rest of human history put together with the great respect to Sigmund Freud. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we are, it feels like we're only just beginning to understand how our, our brain mm -hmm. and our bodies and our spirits and our, interconnect in this, mm -hmm. you know, as I always say, as a person of faith in, mm -hmm. in this fearfully and wonderfully made sense, like, I mean, mm -hmm. we, we use that term in such a sort of throwaway, fearfully, and wonderfully made. But no, trust me, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. The way mm -hmm. God has made these responses and our, our mental well-being and our emotional well-being and our uh, physical well-being and all of these things are interconnected. And mm -hmm. I kind of see how your vocation really, you, you appreciate that. I guess you see that every day in the people you work with, mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, yeah, which is just so interesting. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I often, you know, I've been thinking there sort of is this assumption, especially in our, our facilities, care facilities for mental health and addictions and, and shelters, is that is assumption people just know how to eat. And we will just put food out, they'll eat it. Uh, but I think we need to, we need to put parameters around what people eat, we need to relearn. Um, after we've been through an acute crisis or for many people chronic crisis and some people never had stable home back to childhood never sort of really had an experience of regular meals eating enough not too much a variety of foods hydrating um, and all of those you know even if how we eat helps us cope five percent better that's sometimes enough to get through an acute crisis or the difference between a relapse and a good day or, or a meltdown and a good day. Yeah. So interesting. So interesting. Well, I'm sure you've got many more books in you <laughs> and um, we look forward to reading them. Thank you. Um, Karen, is there anything else you'd like to share with us? Yeah, maybe just one story. Uh, so in the first weeks of, of, COVID starting to settle in, uh, probably the last food program I was at, the last community meal before they had to completely be shut down, we had already put some changes into practice. Uh, so anything that, that our guests used to be able to help themselves to, the pastries, the bread, the coffee, or, or used to be able to pour a cup of coffee for a friend of theirs, all of that was shut down. And we were having volunteers with gloves and with tongs serve these things because we were needed to do what we can to, to be safe. And at that point, that's what we understood is safe. And so I, was, I sat down to dinner with, with one of the maybe crustier gentlemen in the city who I've been meeting at food programs for at least a decade. And we got to chatting and he was saying like, oh, you know, I don't like all these changes people are making and I don't think this is necessary. And I just want to go back to the glory days. So I said, you mean like the glory days of last week? And he's like, oh, yeah, I guess so. Um, so I laughed at him, but man, I have thought so many times, I just want to go back to the glory days of how things used to be. Hmm. But this is certainly highlighting uh, 
what we had learned and, and I think what kind of practices we're going to put back in place when we can. Wow. And it does strike me, Karen, as you were, as you were saying about just how empowered many of us are and the, and you know, the grat, I mean, the gratitude I feel right now for living in Canada, for instance, just mm. when I speak to my friends in other countries in majority world countries and hear about the, the poverty that people are going through that they, you know, because people can't work and they can't buy food. Um, and uh, yeah, the gratitude I feel and just realizing how empowered I am uh, to make choices and being struck by the fact that you're actually making effectively making those choices for a lot of people and the responsibility of that. Just hearing you speak the, the wisdom and the experience you have and the, the effort and energy you've poured into learning your craft just really, really admire what you're doing and really grateful that you're doing what you're doing. And I know that the city of Vancouver is, uh, is really lucky to have you. So thanks for all your work. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's uh, amazing, actually, who I get to work with and and what I'm seeing and all this and and uh, really seeing. I think the the antidote to this powerless we're feeling is to do something tangible for others, and food is such a great tool to do that. Whether it's our neighbors or people who are vulnerable in our community. So, Karen, maybe there are some ways. If anyone's listening, maybe are there, is there any advice you'd give to someone who wants to help? Who, who wants to help food-wise? What would what would you say to someone? They could live anywhere. I want to help people who don't have enough food. What is a good way to help? Yeah. So the best thing I, I would say at the moment is to donate to the programs that are doing this. Uh, our costs have gone up in that we've had to switch to all disposable dishes. Uh, be purchasing more emergency supplies. We can't actually have a lot of volunteers come on site. We can't be bringing people together. Um, so financial donations are probably the most helpful at the moment. But you know, as we have neighbors and family members and people in our communities who are struggling uh, to drop off groceries, uh, to check in, make a phone call, uh, all that stuff matters. It's um, for those who were have lost their supportive programs. They've lost the social support that comes along with that. And so, to to reach out, especially to those in your neighborhood, uh, is going to make a big difference. Very good. Well, uh, if you're listening to this and you found it helpful, please share it with others. Um, if you're looking for resources on faith and mental health, go to sanctuarymentalhealth.org. We have our new. Uh, grief, faith, and COVID-19 resource. We also have our sanctuary course, an eight-part course on faith and mental health. We have our blog, our podcast, which you're listening to. Um, go to sanctuarymentalhealth.org to find out more. And also uh, check out Karen's book. Karen, remind us of the title again. It's called Happy Colon, Happy Soul, uh, an exploration of why and how we share food. Great. Happy colon, happy soul. That's what we want. We all want happy colons and we all want happy souls thank you karen bless you and uh, i'll see you soon thank you sanctuary mental health ministries exists to equip the church to be a sanctuary for all people at all stages of their mental wellness journeys may this podcast encourage you to create safe space for your own story and the stories of others, as well as create change in communities that stigmatize those suffering with mental health challenges. 
The Sanctuary Course is a small group resource designed to help initiate and guide conversations about mental health and faith. It is a starting point, creating a base of shared knowledge from which churches can explore the next steps. Perhaps most importantly, through the simple act of talking openly about mental health, the course helps churches begin to create safe spaces for people to share their mental health stories and receive support in community. Each theme in the course is explored from a psychological, social and theological perspective, and each session is accompanied by a compelling film focused on an individual's story, a person of faith who has journeyed through mental health challenges. Interested in exploring the Sanctuary Course for use in your community? Learn more at SanctuaryCourse.com. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives 4.0 license. Don't change it or sell it, but please share it all you like.